0: Uh where am I? Okay, we are, uh, we are in a first Sunday of a series called Anime, and if you've been around here long enough, you've heard this, about four or five years ago maybe. Uh, I wanted to bring it back because I love it so much, and I think it's the right time for it. And, uh, and I, I just uh, am excited about it. You were supposed to receive one of these books as you walked in, but we forgot to hand them out. So um, I'm going to pass them out. And uh, every adult, take one, all right? And then, um, if you'll look, uh, I—I'll just read from page three of that book. Uh, it says each week begins with some space for sermon notes. So in that book, you'll have places for sermon notes, and I—and it says I want to encourage you to interact with the sermon in a slightly different way, rather than just writing down what is being taught. Bring yourself to these notes, like put yourself into them. Right, write questions. Doodle, draw pictures, uh, stay open to what is the Spirit is saying to you or speaking to you. Um, how is this sermon addressed to you? So make these sermon notes really sort of a personal interaction between you and the Holy Spirit and and just kind of take your time to write those things down. We can pass this one out. I don't need it. I've got one at home. So if anybody wants to take that one, they can. Um, anyway, so today is the first uh, sermon in this series and uh, you know I've kind of redone it a little bit and things like that and so I think even if you've heard this before four or five years ago I don't think you're really going to remember the details anyway and uh, I think you'll be excited to uh, hear it new and fresh Um, and but basically what we're doing is we want to look at our relationship with Jesus in light of the abundant life that Jesus speaks about that many of us feel like we don't really live in right we still battle old patterns. We, we still live in a hidden sin life sometimes, and we, we don't want to. I mean, we have well-intentioned hearts, but we still sometimes do do these things, right? We don't really live in that freedom. We don't experience the freedom of which Jesus and, and, uh, and others speak. We want it. We desire it, but it's just not there for us, right? So we're calling this series Animate. And by the way, I have, to, I have to say that this series, I, I don't want to get blamed for plagiarism. Uh, Gregory Boyd, I don't agree with everything Gregory Boyd says, but I like this series, so I, I robbed it from him. So let's give Gregory a little, you know, thank you, Gregory. You know, uh, plagiarism is actually flattery. So, um, <laughs> but, so uh, I don't want to get blamed for that, so I, I do need to say that. But we're calling this series Animate because the word means to breathe life into something otherwise inanimate or dead, right? That uh, to animate, to make something come to life. And, so, and, and, and that's really about the incarnation. And if you haven't been around church, that's a familiar word for churchy folks. The incarnation just means that uh, God made flesh, right? God comes to us in the person of Jesus, that God comes to us. He's made flesh in Jesus, that, that the plan of salvation was in God's mind, and then it came out and, and it came alive in Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ. So when we look at Jesus, we see God, Colossians chapter 1, right? And uh, so the plan about salvation is there. God's thinking it. God's, uh, it's, it's in his mind and it comes out in the person of Jesus Christ. It becomes a concrete reality for us. And for the 12 disciples, it was really nice because they could sit there and talk to him and touch him and all that kind of stuff and eat fish with him even after he was resurrected. Um. Our salvation wouldn't be possible without that incarnation, I don't think. But incarnation and resurrection, Jesus coming uh, back to life after he was crucified, uh, bring more than just fire insurance, more than just salvation for us, don't they? They, bring, they should bring freedom. They should be trans- transforming our lives. Those, those concepts, the, the gospel, Jesus himself should be transforming our lives. It should be changing us. Jesus himself proclaimed the kingdom of God is here. It's near, right? Look, the the blind see, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. Something's happening. The kingdom of God, God is here, but is also not fully here yet, he said. So our spiritual life is animated or it's brought to life when that resurrection power becomes enfleshed or it becomes concrete or it becomes experienced as our true reality when we can learn to relate to God with all of our senses, with all of our beings, with everything that we are. And we've been conditioned, though, and you know this, in a very Gnostic or a very Platonic view of spirituality where God and spirituality have been moved off to the side and what is real to us is only what we can see before us and what we can experience with the five senses, what we can see, taste, touch, hear, and smell, and all that kind of stuff. And if you've been around 6, 8, you know that I love when Francis Schaeffer talked about the, the line between the divine and nature, that there's a line that, that we drew between the divine and nature, where uh, the divine is way up here, it's ethereal, uh, we can't touch it, it doesn't interact with our natural world, it's not a, it's not a part of our natural world, which is very unvineyard like by the way. We've separated the two, and we no longer think that God or spirituality have any effect on our everyday lives. When we speak of animation, we'll speak of imagination. Now, I'm not advocating for some sort of uh, strange, feelings-based, experiential-only you know, spirituality with no rooting in scriptural truth or church history. I'm actually speaking about the exact opposite of that. I'm speaking of planting our God-given ability to image scriptural truth and to see it flourish in us. And what we're going to explore throughout this series is scriptural and early church leaders based, actively use their ability to image truth in their minds to bring about a more concrete spirituality in their lives. We have a few visual artists in the crowd, myself being one, Chris Nixon's one, uh, Maddie Griner, who drew this. This is uh, Jonah going into the water, right? Maddie, wherever she is, I don't know where she is. Um, Noelle Christawati, if she's here, are you here, Noelle? I don't think she's here. Uh, she's she's also a, an artist. There may be more of you that are visual artists. I don't know, but art's an imagine, an, an imaginative act, it, and when we ima- what we imagine in our head becomes a reality, it becomes animated onto a canvas, right? Visual artists illustrate in paint what we're going to talk about coming out in reality in our spiritual lives. So let me pray for us first as we get started. Father, we offer this sermon and the next three sermons as a holy sacrifice to you. We ask that you would embody all of these words, that you would you would uh, come to us in a real tangible way through these words that we could uh, leave what is not of you, what is just of Jason, and we could take what is of scriptural truth that is meant to change our lives and our hearts and bring us freedom and bring us peace and, and help us to experience and radiate your glory to the rest of the world around us. So come and be glorified by what we're doing here, what we're saying here, what we're praying here, and what we're singing here. Father, let us be the church. And we know that your spirit is working because we see that even Vinny was prophetic in what he was saying about Ephesians. That what we see out there is not really the scriptural truth that we want to own in our hearts here. So Father, we pray that we can hold that in our minds as we explore this. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So have, have you ever read... The stories, I mean, you read your Bibles, I hope, right? <laughs> That's, you're supposed to be doing that, by the way. <laughs> but, you know, you read your Bibles. Have you ever read those stories of transformation of people in Scripture and, and, and wondered why it doesn't happen to you? I, I have. I'm a pastor, and I've, I have felt that way. Why haven't I changed? You know, why do I still battle with this or that? You know, you're, you're, you read what is supposed to be, be true, but it doesn't feel true, right? It doesn't seem to come out in your reality and what you're, what you're, what you're living, right? Well, let me tell you a secret. It's, it's not what you know to be true which transform you, transforms you. It's, it's not that the information isn't important. The information actually is very important. The Scriptures are very important. But what you, how you experience that truth to be true transforms you, right? Not just knowing it, but how you experience it to be true tra- is, is that—that's what transforms you in this Christian walk. That's why we can say that we believe in God, but that fact alone doesn't change us. Satan believes in God, but it hasn't made him to be obedient to God, right? There are many people out there that believe in a God, but it doesn't transform them. It doesn't make them like Jesus. Doesn't change their lives. You may believe it to be true, but it's not an active reality for you, right? You may believe in Easter, right? The resurrection, Jesus came back, he rose from the dead, you know, wow. But that just that information will not change you. What's real to you actually is your mortgage payment and your, your school bills and your sick kids and your test that's coming up and your crumbling house that you can't keep up with. I was just at the Culps' house not too long ago, and brand new house. Suddenly they got a leak. Second floor, first floor is damaged, right? And they like I walk into this house, and the whole ceiling's taken out, right? That's real. But all this Bible stuff, all these stories, just doesn't feel real to us sometimes. How do we rectify that? Well, if you've been around church, if you've grown up in a church or you've been around for a little while, there's some normally proposed solutions to that issue, that, that gap between belief and experienced reality, right? And the first is the try harder solution. We've all tried this solution, right? Have, have more quiet times, tithe more, go to church more, share your faith more, pray more. You know, confess more. Whatever it is, just keep going down the list of Christian things to do, right? Just do more of them and you'll be transformed. It's the willpower solution, right? Just muster up more willpower and but try harder, and you will be changed. We've all tried it. But the truth of the matter is, although we can muster up enough willpower to do something for the short term, we will not see long-lasting transformation by, the, by willpower alone. Just by doing the right thing. There's truth in this solution. Obviously. There's always truth in all these things. Right? It does take some effort on our part. But that in and of itself won't change a person. Right? Just trying harder. The second solution is the just let go and let God solution. And it, occasionally but rarely. Right? People are changed in a flash. You think about Paul. Paul on the damascus road he's going to damascus where i was just was very close to right and he and he and he gets bang he gets knocked off his horse by jesus and he's blinded and you know and and the holy spirit says go to go to uh ananias's house on up straight street right and there's still by the way a straight street in ananias's house and one of the ministries i visited was called ananias house it's pretty, it's pretty cool come on you got to say amen to that one right but, it, you know, Paul gets, it's like a, he's in a flash, he's changed, right? And that we see those stories. And we hear these dramatic stories. And we extrapolate that that's the way it's supposed to be. And that's, that's supposed to happen to everybody. But not to us. And then we end up feeling like a spiritual loser. <laughs> like I'm not as important as that guy, right? What's wrong with me that I can't just let go and let God and be changed quickly right well by the way paul didn't let go and let god paul was persecuting the church when christ knocked him off the horse now this is the lay down and let god do all the work mentality right it's not the norm it's the exception right it's the exception we don't all get changed in a flash good book by the way is how people change uh forget the author i'll if you trip paul tripp Uh, Really good book, and it just really describes how people change in the spiritual life. Thank you. You've obviously read it. Very intelligent people. Um, But there's truth in this one too, right? There's truth in that. We do have to allow God to work in our lives. We all know that. But there is some interplay between us and God. We are encouraged in the scriptures to be about doing something in our spiritual lives. Sometimes that's not a popular thought because people get worried about legalism, but honestly, we are encouraged to be a part of our own spiritual formation. We are to be active in it, to do something, right? Just waiting for God to work isn't what God intends for us. God wants us to be willing and active participants in our spiritual transformation. Then there's the newest solution and probably the most pervasive solution in the church, I think to this day, is the... Just get more information solution, right? Just get more information. We're in the information age. More information is available to us now than ever before. And many of you out there have uh, master's degrees or doctorates or you're going to get your doctorate or whatever it is. I mean, we live on the main line. You guys are smart people. You've done your work, right? You've got everything at your fingertips. Download a sermon. Read another book. Paul Tripp. How, how do people grow, right? I just quoted you one. You know, you, you know, read an article, read a blog, you know, go get more information. You can figure it out. And and the mistake is that we think that information equals transformation. Information equals transformation. More information is better. We're going to change more, right? But if information transformed us, then those who know the most would be the most transformed. It's only logic, right? Those who know the most would be the most transformed. But, More often than not, that's not the case, is it? It's not. Very heady cerebral theologians aren't necessarily more faith-filled people. And they're definitely not the people usually that I want to follow. They're not really necessarily the most spiritually mature people out there. Now, some of them are, but many times they're not. So it doesn't make sense. So what are we missing? Well, there's a biblical principle which we've missed in modern Western culture, right? And it has to do with our imagination, that piece of us as, as human beings, right? Better said, our ability to image or our ability, our ability to contemplate truth and the role in which spiritual, uh, spirituality plays in all of that. So let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter three to explore all this. And in, in this passage, you remember that Paul is talking about Moses coming back down from Mount Sinai, and uh, you know he's, his face is glowing because he's just met with God. So much so that they have to put this veil over his face, right? And Paul's going to talk about this veil now in a certain way as it relates to believers and non-believers. And he starts with non-believers talking about uh the jewish guys who haven't uh come to christ in verse 14 he says but their minds were made dull for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read so reading the old testament they read it aloud but they don't fully get it because there's this veil right it's not been removed because only in christ is it taken away Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts, right? So let's remember that ancient Greeks uh, made a separation between the mind and the heart, which we have carried on today. We always go heart and mind, right? We think our heart's here. That's a physical heart, by the way. We all know that. Um, And mind, right? We make that separation today. The mind was the rational self, the, reason, the seat of reason and all that kind of stuff. But, but uh, 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 the heart was the seat of emotion. And, you know, they trusted the rational, the reason, reason part, but the emotional not so much. By the way, that's transferred into the church, and I think that's one reason that we've really not done well with women in church. Because I've been in church circles where women are not valued because they're quote-unquote emotional Right, we know that's not true. There's, I know some very emotional men; myself being one of them, right? But we, in, in, in generations before us, we've categorized women as all emotional and men as all rational, and and the men running the church were like, "Oh, I can't have the women in the meeting because I don't know what to do with all that emotion." Right? It's just a very black and white kind of like outlook on it, and it's not served to honor women in the way that they should be honored. I think that's been changing, and that's good. But biblically, however, we've got to understand that there is no separation between the mind and the heart. There really isn't. In the Jewish mind, there was no, in Jewish thinking, they didn't make a distinction between the two. Mind is the thinking part of the heart, and heart is the feeling part of the mind, which is reinforced by modern neuroscience, isn't it? We all know that all the emotions and all the reason all come out of the same place, and it's up here. It's in our minds, it's in our brains. We are holistic creatures. We all operate with both of these things within us. So the veil is both over the mind or the heart of those non-believing Jews and Paul that Paul's referring to here when they, when they read the Old Covenant. And we, let's call that the heart mind. Not the heart and the mind, but let's call it the heart mind. Let's make it one thing, right? Verse 16, But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, who is Jesus but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. In other words, you can understand things. There's clarity when you come to Christ. And it says in verse 17, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Not freedom to do what you want. <laughs> that's sin. That's, 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 that's the thing that enslaves you, actually. But freedom to live not in bondage anymore. Freedom not to live in hatred. Freedom to have nothing to do with racism. Freedom to, do, to, to get rid of your anger. Freedom. Freedom, peace. That's what we all want, right? That's what all of America wants. Vinny's upset about it. in America, I'm upset about it. You're upset about it. What we just saw in Las, Las Vegas is upsetting. We want freedom from that. And I am going to proclaim to you right now that the only place it's going to be found is in Christ. Anywhere in the earth. Anywhere in the earth. What brings peace and freedom to the Muslims right now in the Middle East, which I just saw firsthand, is Jesus and nothing else. Nothing else. And that's what he's talking about. So as we turn to the Lord, we are free to see and experience these things we couldn't before. We couldn't see them and experience them before. We've been given a sixth sense, not to see dead people like in the movie Sixth Sense, but to see Jesus, right? To experience Jesus. The Spirit of God brings a new freedom to see a new reality of the world in Christ. Verse 18, all, and, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate. Oh, that's a great word. And contemplate means to behold or to reflect on an image in our mind. It actually means to stare at and behold it and reflect on it and think about it. So we who with all unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, Jesus' glory, right, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So as I look at Jesus, I become like Jesus. Right? How are we transformed? How are we? Well, he answers it, right? By trying harder? By just waiting? Or by getting more information? Now, you guys have a lot of information. You have plenty of information. Right? No, it's by beholding. It's, it's contemplating the Lord's glory in your heart-mind. <laughs> That's what it is. And today we might refer to this as using our imagination to engage Scripture, imagining God's glory in our mind's eye as we focus on Scripture, focusing our imagination on His truth. A few verses later in chapter 4, he says, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age, who is Satan, by the way, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. We're not happy about that, but it is a true reality. Then in verse 6, he says, For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. So he's making this connection to Moses and to, and to Jesus, Right? The, the radiance of Moses as he came down from the mountain and the radiance of Jesus as he reflects who God the Father is. Colossians chapter 3 and other places in Scripture, right? Or Colossians chapter 1, I'm sorry. What this tells us is that before, we, that, that before we're surrendered to Jesus, before we've given our life to Jesus, which thankfully, uh, I heard Vinnie outline the gospel for us last week, right? Amen. Before we've given our heart to Christ, Surrender to Jesus. There's a veil over our heart-mind which keeps us in the dark. We can't understand things. We can't find that peace and that freedom. We We can't live in the kingdom of God, which is a kingdom of peace. But in Jesus, that veil is removed. It's removed. Therefore, you now, in Christ, you now have the capacity to behold the Lord's glory the capacity to, to see and to experience the truth of who God is and who He is to you. And as you do that, you are transformed into His glory. Incrementally, you are changed, right? All that the Lord is by nature becomes yours by grace. Let me say that twice. All that the Lord is by nature, loving and gracious and merciful and good becomes yours by grace like Moses reflecting the Lord's glory after coming down from the mountain right we reflect Jesus as we become like him to look upon the Lord to imagine him to imagine his glory to contemplate this stuff and truth then animates your life and you're changed right in short this is what we would say a lifestyle of contemplative worship Worship isn't just what Vinny and Mary do up here on Sunday mornings. Worship is all of our lives. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, right? Worship is everything that we are. This is a lifestyle of contemplative worship. The process of transformation is this. You become what you see to be true, real and true. Let me say that twice. The process of trans- transformation is this. You become what you see to be real and true. So, if I had my way, I would turn off all of your cell phones and your your news feeds and and the news and the radios, and I would have you for one year just contemplate the truth in Scripture. Because what are you feeding yourself with? Look at all the, like Vinny said, look at all the anger. By the way, we didn't talk about this. I think that was the Holy Spirit speaking through Vinny this morning. Look at what we feed ourselves with. Everything is hate and vitriol and angst and bitterness and rage. And I, I, I guarantee you that 99.9% of what you feed yourself with is not scriptural truth. I, I'm not saying that to make you feel bad. I'm just saying that's the, that's the reality in which we live. I had to turn off Facebook, as you know. I I used Facebook this week while I was away more than I have in six months, right? Just to be able to communicate and see life back here a little bit. But really, it's not healthy, all this stuff. And some people say, well, that's unintelligent. You've got to know what's going on. But no, you don't really. No, you don't. What you need to do is reflect Jesus. And if you reflect Jesus, you will change the freaking world. I gave a... Uh, devotional to the Syrian pastors. Try try being a guy preaching from the main line, going to people that have bullet holes in their cars, giving a devotional. What do you say, right? Well, one of the things that I said is, our prayers make a difference. And I went back to the haystack movement when five guys uh, in in, uh, New England prayed. And they changed the world. Because before they prayed, uh, North American missions was largely non-existent. And after they prayed, it just started a fire that is still going on today. This is like in the 1800s, I think, when they prayed. And it's still going on today. As missions, missionaries move out and we, we're, we're reaching the world of Christ, it, it's just pretty cool. Five guys prayed their little, you know, flapped their little butterfly prayer wings, and suddenly the world has changed. And they're dead. They don't even know that's happening. <laughs> but they did. They changed the world. So, transformation is this you become what you see to be real and true and as a young christian i remember um i remember sitting on my back porch in uh what do you call i forget where i lived down that way <laughs> down route 30 um and i and i would sit on my back porch studying the scriptures it was before kim and i were married and i living with a bunch of guys and i would go out on the back porch and i would sit there and i'd study the scriptures and i would pray and i would journal which is a really good practice and so really is what we're talking about right and i would I would do that every morning and and uh, before I sat down every morning, I knew some things I, I had been saved twenty one I came to Christ, and then you know I, I had been to church and I had learned some things and all that stuff and I, I knew some things I, I knew that I was a sinner saved by grace, right I knew that in myself alone i i was i, I couldn 't I couldn't change myself. I needed somebody to change me. And so Christ comes along. He, he lives a perfect life. He's the perfect sacrifice. His blood pays for me. He's, he rises from the dead to conquer sin and death in my life. I knew all that stuff. I knew I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I knew, Je- I, I, knew I needed Jesus. And I, I knew what the resurrection meant to me theologically, which I should know. But that information didn't necessarily change me beyond my initial regeneration or, or salvation. It played a part, but in and of itself, it doesn't really do much, just being information. It's when I sat down and I took the time to contemplate truth, to really behold it, to listen to it, to imagine what it meant for me and what it meant for everybody else around me and what it meant in this world, that it became real to me. And I was transformed, little by little, and still am being transformed. I would like to say I spend more time with Jesus than I actually do, but... But when I actually spend time with Jesus, I'm transformed. And that's why Paul says in Romans 12, you know, uh, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Give of yourself, surrender yourself to God, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, everything. Give of yourself to God and do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you're placing yourself into that place where you can be transformed and the the Spirit of God works through the Word to really transform your life. That's why he says that stuff. When I experience the love of Jesus in the cross, not just the information of it, when I contemplate and I imagine the depths and the heights of it, I am changed. I'm made more loving, believe it or not, I'm made more sacrificial of others, you know, my you know, myself as I as I gaze on the love and the sacrifice of Jesus in my life. The information doesn't necessarily change you until it becomes a reality in your heart. When that love becomes enfleshed, it becomes concrete in you, right? Because the the veil's been removed and you can now see and experience it. You are transformed. When your imagination grows out of the fertile soil of of truth, you are changed. Imagination, not just child's play, right? But the ability to see and experience truth in your heart and mind. To spend time with Jesus. But we're all heirs of this naturalistic world. We're all smart people. We're conditioned to think that what is only what's real is the, the physical world out there, what I can see and taste and touch and smell and you know all that kind of stuff. And the rest of it's just make-believe. Bill Nye, the science guy, oh, he's so smart, right? Probably a really nice guy. He's probably funny, but doesn't see it. There's a veil. It doesn't make me stupid. It doesn't. We dismiss it. We dismiss it. Oh, it's just your imagination. It's just child's play. It's just child's play. But imagination isn't just child's play. It's, it's not something just for playgrounds. It's a creative tool to, to make truth come into reality for us, to envision something as a reality and make it concrete in our lives. For instance, you know, when you're looking at a painting of, of a biblical story, we know, like this one, it's this drawing, right, that Maddie did, Maddie Greiner did. I want to give credit where credit is due. When we look at this, right, we know that, you know, it's from scripture to mind or to imagination to canvas or paper or whatever the medium is, right? But you, you, you might say, well, that's just art. It's just a picture. It's not transformative to me. It's just a picture on a wall. All right, think on this. Think on this for a minute. Look around you. I want you guys to reach to your right and pinch that person on your right. Do that right now. Is, alright look at the people around you 6-8 is a real church that's a real person that's flesh and bone sitting next to you with real people sitting in that chair next to you it's a real real people with real lasting impact we're a church with a real lasting impact on a real community in the real world we're not Plato's like cavern of shadows pick up your chair it is solid right but 6 8 was imagined through contemplative prayer on a roof in Bandar Lampung, Indonesia, 15 years ago. As I contemplated Jesus on that roof, you know, I'm going back to America, I thought, you know, what am I going to do? I allowed myself to be led by the Spirit to imagine exactly what God could do in me and through me if I disregarded all of my insecurities and, you know, all of my fears, and I took Matthew 28 seriously, because when Jesus says to all of us, go and make disciples of all the nations of the world and baptize them in the name of the, you know the verse, right? when he says that to us, then he must mean that I can do it. And when he says to me me that I will be with you to the very ends of the age, he must mean it. And when he says to me, I'll give you my spirit to empower you for these things, he must mean it. So I throw away all my insecurities for a moment because I am a very insecure man like the rest of you. (laughs) Or woman. And I imagined what was possible from the truth of Scripture. And then 6.8 was conceived. And it was in a gestational period for four years. And then in 2009, January 1st, it was born into a reality. As we met in a living room in Gladwin. It was conceived from creative, prayerful, imaginative thought centered on the Scriptures of God. That's pretty cool. Now look at it. Imagination can be used for fantasy and escape, which isn't necessarily bad. It can be bad, but it's not necessarily bad. But it can also be something that doesn't take us away from reality, but rather it actually roots us in truth, and it brings us closer to certain aspects of our spiritual reality. For instance, think back to coming to this church for the first time. I just met a couple this morning that are here for the very first day, Right? You all came to this church for the first time at some point, right? What happened that day? How did you feel? What, you know, uh, how do you know when you think about that, how it, that it happened the way that you think that it happened, right? Well, we remember, right? Well, I, I remember that day. Well, it's true, you can remember it, but in, in our memory we're re-experiencing something. That's your imagination kind of in reverse, Right? We're re-experiencing all the thoughts and feelings and images and all that kind of stuff. We don't have, most of us don't have photographic or videographic memories which just replay a tape of exactly what happened that day without all the emotions attached to it. No, it's wrapped up in how we imagined it to be and and the rational and the emotional sort of thoughts are all entwined in that experience. And no two people experience the same situation in the same way, right? Right? tie their arms together and let them walk through the door at the same time together and meet the same people, and they will still have a different story. They'll they'll have a different narrative, right? The same could be asked about a future question, right? What are you going to be doing tomorrow? As soon as you think about that, you, you start to think about things and where you're going to go and what you're going to do and the emotions of it. And you have to imagine that. You're not a robot who follows a digital set of commands with no deviance to them or no forethought or no change. You imagine and you experience something ahead of time, don't you? What you'll be doing, and then it becomes a reality. Maybe that's why we use the word will for future tense, right? Because from our imagination, we will something into being. Maybe that's why we do it in the original language, putting together of things. I don't know. You pregnant mothers are mothers that have been pregnant. I guess you have to be pregnant at some point to be a mother, right? You know this. Going through your your whole pregnancy life, you, you imagine what it's going to be like when that baby comes. And then all the other mothers tell you, oh, gosh, uh, it's going to suck. You know, <laughs> it's going to hurt and all that stuff. And you imagine it and you imagine it and you imagine it. You imagine the food. I remember Lindley was on staff and, just always remember, Lindley, when she was pregnant, you know, she'd be in the next office, and at 9 a.m., she'd say, is it lunch yet? And we would say, no, Lindley, it's not lunch yet. And she would say, mmm, Elevation Burger, mmm. And she would think about it, and she would feel it and taste it and experience it in full color. And then by 11.30, Lindley made that a reality, usually by sending me or Pete to go get Elevation Burger for her. By 11.30, not 12, 11.30. Right? you 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 make things if you have a a meeting later you and you, you make plans for that you you and it's going to be an uncomfortable meeting, you imagine it and you feel the anxiety of it now, don't you right you do imagination plays a huge part in what we make to be our reality you've met people who always just seem to be the- you know see the worst in people and worst in situations, and it seems. To happen to them, doesn't it? Their life just seems to be crisis after crisis after crisis. That they're a self-fulfilling prophecy, so to speak, right? Anxiety is just experiencing the future pain of something that hasn't happened in the now. For those of us with anxiety issues, what would it mean to sit and contemplate the truth of Jeremiah 29.11 where it says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope. Plans to give you a future. Or maybe Psalms 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Imaging truth such as that, contemplating it, reducing anxiety. And if everybody could contemplate that uh, of a God that is righteous and just and good, Maybe we wouldn't hate people so much. Maybe we wouldn't be so fearful of, oh, they they did this or they did that. They changed this law. or Oh, he's in power now. Or that person's in power. Oh! Well, God's in charge. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. In other words, God's kingdom will reign. All this stuff is going to be solved. Doesn't necessarily take care of everything right in the here and now but it does help you to suffer well doesn't it faith and imagination are different by the way but our god-given imagination our ability to contemplate his truth is a tool of faith faith confidence in what we hope for and its assurance about what we have not yet seen right we can contemplate or an entertain an image of, of, of the future which is in line with scriptural truth, a picture which, which isn't yet seen, right? But we know but we know it is truth. Can we imagine a world where Jesus rules with love and goodness? Or I'm set free from bondage. Can you imagine that world? Instead of just knee-jerk reactions to, to other people and to situations and the news and everything else, we could contemplate Ephesians four thirty-two. Is that the verse you used? Isn't that prophetic, right? Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Wow! If everybody like knew Jesus and can think about that, we can imagine what our response should be in light of his forgiveness of us, that's powerful. We allow ourselves to be transformed and life changes and relationships get better. We tend to think that imagination is, is, is in opposition to our reason, right? But theoreticians, uh, working from smaller bits and pieces, imagine things to be a reality and then they work towards theories, don't they? They imagine things, And then they make up a theory and they work to prove the theory. That's the way science world works. It's the way the very, very rational world works out there, right? We knew of atoms before we ever saw proof of atoms, right? We did. Someone imagined an atom before we ever saw anything about atoms. Einstein first began devising his theory of relativity on his bike on his way home from school as a kid. I don't know if you know this story, but he'd ride home and he'd imagine himself racing a photon at the speed of light. And as he imagined that, he realized that all the information in the universe comes to him at the very speed of light. So if he was going the speed of light, then everything would freeze. All right? Which eventually gave birth to the idea of special relativity. Imagination played a key role in the development of that. Imaging truth throughout church history has been understood as the main place we meet God, right? The inner sanctum. The inner sanctum where we contemplate truth and we begin to be transformed. Considering worship, right? By the way, this is a longer sermon. Stay awake. Keep with me, right? I know it's a little long. This is good stuff, I swear, But considering worship, you know, you notice there there are those who seem to just get lost in worship. You know, they, they just are worshipful people, it seems like, right? You set off firecrackers at their feet and it doesn't seem to bother them. They won't be swayed, right? But others of us just stand there and we can't get into it. And they're thinking of all the worries of life. And they're thinking about the bills and work and what the worship leader is wearing and how they don't like Vinny's hat, right? Or how they don't like what the pastor just said or they don't like his dreadlocks. What kind of a person is a pastor with dreadlocks? I'm not listening to this guy. Right? Their thoughts are transfixed on what's right before their eyes. Not on Jesus, right? But the other person is just lost in rapturous worship at the truth that they're experiencing in the words of the song and all that kind of stuff, or what they heard in their quiet time the day before, whatever it is. The difference is imagination, The the, the, the contemplative spirit. The ability to image truth. One person imagining themselves singing to Jesus, right? Standing there just singing away to Jesus, right? They see him walking up the aisles of the church as we worship. They see him enthroned up front behind the worship team, whatever it is. But the other person can't get past how uncomfortable their chair is or how stupid the guy worshiping in front of them looks. That's not a slight on you. That's what I used to do to my former worship leader. You don't know who he is, but years ago, I used to think, oh, that guy's so silly. And it just drove me crazy. <laughs> but the same's true in prayer, right? The same is true in prayer. Some can't get past the room that they're in or how the guy next to them is making weird noises as he prays, right? Whoa, no, no, what are you doing? You know, like you can't get past it, right? But others of us are enraptured and they're imagining themselves being filled with the Spirit. They allow the visions and the thoughts which God brings them to take over, right? See, our culture has wired us to think of only that stuff which we can see and touch. It's naturally what we gravitate to, and then we get stuck there. Stuck there on Vinny's hat. (laughs) Listen to what A.W. Tozer says in his book, The Pursuit of God, which, by the way, is a very good book to get more information into you. No, I'm just kidding. But it is a good book. Like the eye which sees everything in front of it and never sees itself, faith is occupied with the object upon which it rests and pays no attention to itself at all. While we're looking at God, we don't see ourselves. Blessed riddance. The man who has struggled to purify himself, right? That's the try harder method. And has had nothing but repeated failures will experience a real relief when he stops tinkering with his own soul and looks away to the perfect one. While he looks at Christ... The very things he, he's so long been trying to do will be getting done within him. Think about that verse: "Seek first my kingdom, and everything else will be added to you." right? It will be God working in him to do and to will and to do. Faith looks out instead of in, and the whole life falls into line. Look to the perfect one, and everything falls into place. Those who experience transformation contemplate the Lord it's a regular practice for them that they sit and they contemplate the scriptures not by trying harder or getting more info or just waiting on God but those who can contemplate and imagine and behold the Lord's glory glory are transformed by his spirit imagination is a gift of God but the talk of it may be uncomfortable with us you know because Satan has usurped these things we want to take them back Imagination has become circumspect in our minds. This, but this is old Christian stuff. It really is. It's been stolen from us, and we want to steal it all back because we want to submit our imagination or the ability to behold the glory of the Lord uh, to image truth and, and allow Him to transform us. We want to, we want to submit ourselves to that. Many early church fathers would practice this imaginative prayer Or what St. Ignatius of Loyola uh, called cataphatic spirituality. They'd find a place to meet with God and they would find this inner sanctum, an inner place. That is easy to meet with the Lord. And it, might, it could be an imaginary place. It could be an f- open field with wildflowers, which is probably where my wife would be. Or it could be the top of a mountain with mist in the valley below. Or it might be the rooftop of a building overlooking a city, which is my place because I always go back to that roof in Indonesia. It could be beside a tree next to a brook. You just put yourself into that place and you think about meeting God there. Or maybe it's right where you are, wherever you are. You're just meeting Jesus, sitting in church, and there he is sitting next to you right? Whatever it is. But what is your place? What is your cataphatic spiritual place that you meet Jesus with? Find it, go to it often, and contemplate scripture with Jesus there. Ask Jesus to reveal himself in that inner sanctum. Ask him to interpret scripture for you. And as long as you are contemplating scriptural truth, it's a great way to experience and bring truth into a concrete reality by contemplating Jesus and his word, we are therefore transformed. Now, notice I did not say go and meditate on nothing or go and meditate on this or that out there. I said meditate only on scriptural truth, that which is in the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, nothing outside of that, nothing beyond that, on that. I don't think meditative practices outside of scriptural meditation is healthy. I just want to say that. Make it clear. You know, in John 21, Jesus reinstates Peter. We've heard this story because, uh, because of his denial. Peter denied Jesus three times during that whole, you know, uh, Jesus going to the cross thing. And you remember, Jesus showed up on the beach while they were um, still fishing. And Peter's out in the boat. And he gets all excited when he sees that it's Jesus and he dives in and he swims. And, and if you remember just about a month or a month and a half ago, Paul Clough came and talked on this passage for us and he did a great job with that, by the way. I really love that. Um, and Jesus made a fire on the beach. He made a fire and he was there cooking fish for breakfast with them. That's a pretty cool image, right? And that's when Jesus asked Peter three times, you know, Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter had answered, yes, yes, you know I love you. And each time Jesus responded to that with feed my sheep. Feed my sheep, Peter.